This is Music Respawn. I'm Kate Remington with McLean Deemer. It's great to meet you. Thank you, Kate. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, you'll be presenting a session about your soundtrack for Guild Wars 2 End of Dragons at GDC, and it's kind of fun to get a little bit of a preview of how you put this soundtrack together. So I'm looking forward to diving in and talking to you about it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to, I don't know, I've been waiting for literally years to uh, to talk, you know, shout to the world about how great this this. Uh, you know, the soundtrack is and yeah i'm uh, so th- anyway thank you for having me oh yeah it's my pleasure uh guild wars 2 end of dragons is such an amazing score and it's really re- referencing music from traditional korean instruments and the traditional korean style and i'm wondering what the early discussions were like with the team at arena net that led you in that direction Sure. Um, well, so for End of Dragons, the studio decided to return to an area uh, of the game of, you know, the world of Guild Wars that had been explored um, in Guild Wars 1 about 12, 15 years ago, a region called Kantha, which is draws inspiration from traditional East Asian cultures. But that original sort of presentation of it um, was, was a a hodgepodge, uh, you know, of kind of all East Asian cultures, and in that sort of Hollywood sense of let's take this, you know, the window dressing and, and kind of smash it all together. Um, this time around, they decided to narrow the focus a little bit and really try to pay a deeper level of respect to a single culture. And they decided on Korea because, um, in terms of the pop culture landscape and even globally, I would say it's it's traditional Korean culture is is very underrepresented in in the media landscape. Um, and certainly that applies to video games. So, you know, the, the, the directive kind of came from them that, you know, they said, hey, we, we really want this Korean aspect to be very prominent in the score. And, you know, if you're looking at me, you would know that I'm not <laughs> Korean in any way. I have no sort of expertise um, about this. So it was time to kind of crack open the books and, and get studying it. And it was really, for me, it was a very profound experience to learn so much about this beautiful culture and tradition I, I can imagine it. It must have been a kind of daunting to start with, and I, I talked with Christopher Tin, who had a similar, um, I guess, assignment, which was to come up with uh, traditional Arabic sounding and Middle Eastern music for his score for Old World, and so mm-hmm. he he tapped um, some people that he knew who were experts in Arabic music and Middle Eastern instruments to get started. And I'm wondering how you got started. Yeah, you know. Obviously, we live in this amazing information age, so Google is is step one uh, <laughs> to learning anything. But you know, because the because this kind of culture doesn't have the same level of exposure globally, it's very difficult to find information that's not in Korean. And I don't speak Korean; I don't read Korean. Um, so you know, Google was step one, and Google Translate was step two for a lot of these things. Uh, you know, typing things in, finding out what what they mean in you know Korean or or how they're written in Hangul, which is their you know uh, language or written language, um, and then p- pasting that into YouTube, and that that really was the start. But then, you know, I didn't really feel like I I had a full grasp until I started reaching out to people. I, th- I think that's. You know, that's the most important thing, especially when you're diving into a culture that is completely foreign to you, um, is to just ask for help. And I, ha- I had some amazing assistance from some unbelievable musicians and composers, most of whom, you know, contributed to the soundtrack. Uh, one in particular, the most helpful, ironically, uh, is an American from Los Angeles, where I'm from, uh, or where I live, I should say. His name is Andy Roseland, and Andy has lived in Seoul for the last 30 years, uh, and he has a background in 
studying traditional Western composition, but also went to Seoul to study the language and to study the uh, music specifically. So through you know a series of asking people and saying, do you know anybody who knows about this stuff or plays these certain instruments? They all said, oh, you should talk to so-and-so, you should talk to so-and-so. And that led me to Andy. And Andy has been this unbelievable resource. Uh, you know, he, Originally, I got in touch with him with a couple questions about, is this authentic enough? You know, What makes Korean music Korean? Um, and then he, he wrote music for the game uh, to try to really capture a certain essence that I wasn't capable of. He acted as translator. Um, a lot of the soloists on the soundtrack are actually former school colleagues of his. So he is truly the the linchpin of this entire project, and I'm very, very grateful to have met him. Yeah, he sounds like he was a total rock star because of what he I, was able to give you. I honestly don't know what the soundtrack would be like if I hadn't met him. You know, it, it would have been it would have been lesser to to you know a very a very a very great degree. Um, it, it would have been a lot worse, I should say. Well, why do you think it is that the traditional music of Korea is isn't as well-known as music from other Asian cultures and especially China and Japan? You know, that is a great question. And that's one that I'm, I'm still grappling with. I have found that, so the game came out, you know, when as we're recording this, the game came out yesterday, right? So in a certain sense, it's done. Uh, but for me, I'm just kind of starting my journey because it, it kind of opened up a doorway, just a crack to, you know, I, and I, I can see through the door, I can see what's on the other side. And, and I'm so curious about knowing more because I feel like I've just scratched the surface. I think that part of it is, I'm going to speak based on my very high level knowledge about this stuff, but um, part of it is what the nation of Korea has gone through in the last 100 years, starting with the occupation by the Japanese, and then kind of transitioning almost directly into the Korean War, and then essentially multiple generations of them trying to rebuild their country and modernize and democratize. And, And I think that in the wake of that, certain things can, can can get lost for for a variety of reasons that I'm not an expert, uh, you know, I'm not expert enough to speak on, but I think that's probably the root of it. And, and um, in talking to Andy about it pretty extensively, I th- I think that is is kind of the root cause is they were just trying to survive and and you know establish themselves, say hey we belong here, and uh, you know and then try to catch up to the modern world. Only in the last kind of generation, maybe generation and a half, has the government started to invest in protecting their traditional culture and, and heritage and and re-educate the populace of their own nation about some of these aspects. Um, so talking to Andy, you know, there's there's even a lack of understanding within Korea, I think, to some degree about, about certain aspects of traditional Korean culture. So... And then uh, as they're sort of off doing that, trying to establish themselves, their identity as a nation, you know, Japan sort of came out of World War II uh, uh, and and got there a little faster in terms of rebuilding their nation. And, and I don't know, the West, we sort of glommed onto their pop culture and, and you know, Hong Kong had all these kung fu movies in the 70s. I, there's just, there's these little things that happened in the 50s, 60s and 70s that sort of rooted China and Japan as pop culture, you know, kind of facets of, of our own Western culture. And it's it's grown from there as generations have consumed that and recycled it and reinterpreted it. And Korea hasn't gotten there yet, but it's changing. I think I, I think Korea is having this amazing global moment of their own pop culture, and and um, I think you know I th- I hope that we're a very small part of it um, to kind of show the world what this you know sort of beautiful nation has to offer.
it's fascinating. And it, it, you know, honestly, it didn't occur to me that finding musicians who could actually play these traditional Korean instruments in Korea would have been a problem. But it sounds like it's, uh, yeah, it, it needs to have its own renaissance. So Yeah, it, it was. Uh, so here's the thing, my own hubris about this. Living in Los Angeles, for people who aren't familiar, L.A. has the largest population of Korean uh, you know, immigrants and first generation, second generation people outside of Korea. There's a massive Korean population here. And of course, there's the film music and, and you know, kind of game and TV music community here. And in order to get hired for some of those jobs to play on scores, you kind of have to be an expert of some interesting and exotic instruments because you never know when somebody's going to say, I really need someone who plays that thing. Um, and so if you play it, you're going to get hired. So I thought, well, combining those two things, the Korean population and the kind of exotic instruments that people play here, it should be a piece of cake. I, I, you know, I should have a, a, a long list of people that can play these instruments. And it really was not the case at all. And everybody I talked to would eventually say, Oh, I know somebody who plays that, but they live in Seoul. You know, everybody lives in Seoul. So yeah, it's uh, it, it was more challenging than I thought. And and I hope that, you know, I hope that that changes in kind of doing some research and even some of the players that we had on this soundtrack. There's some people doing amazing modern sort of updates and fusion of interesting traditional Korean music with modern pop music and electronic music and rock music. And we're lucky enough to have a few of those players on this score. Um, and, and I hope that that kind of just continues to blossom because I, I think there's a, there's a, there's so much latitude for reinterpretation of this stuff, not just sticking to, oh, this is a, you know, a piece of music that was written 200 years ago and we have to play it exactly the same way. Well, I mean, we we fall into that trap with classical music, too. I mean, you of can... <laughs> course. Yeah, of course. We've been stuck so... in that loop for at least 100 years, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> what what were some of the instruments after the discussions and, and the discoveries that you made? What were some of the um, Korean instruments that you knew you really had to include in the soundtrack to really give it that flavor? Yeah, there's there's four that I really like to think of as the heart of the of the score. Um there's uh, there's a plucked zither called a kayagum, um, which v- visually looks very similar to the Chinese guzheng or the Japanese koto. They definitely share, you know, their cousins. But the koto and the guzheng have kind of updated a little bit uh, over the decades re- recently, and you know now they they have um, steel strings, almost like an acoustic guitar does now. You know, for things like projection and resonance and sustain. But the kayagum has maintained its kind of traditional construction, and the strings are made out of wound silk. Uh, and, and what that allows the player to do is they're very strong but very flexible and allows the player to bend them to almost an extreme degree as they're playing. Very, very wide vibrato. It's a very interesting sound. It's unmistakable as soon as you hear it. Um, and that sort of vibrato is is a key element across all these instruments. Uh, you know, again, it's it's unmistakable when you hear it. So that's... that instrument i think appears on maybe 30 of the 58 tracks on the on the soundtrack um so she the player we had who was unbelievable and very patient very kind she was very busy and we had her in this you know took maybe six sessions total with with her um the other one is a flute called the tegum which is a bamboo flute but unlike a japanese shakuhachi or something which you know is played those are called end-blown flutes right and they you play them kind of sticking out in front of you. Um, this The tegum is a transverse flute, so it's played sideways, kind of like what we think of as the Western sort of uh, traditional flute, Western orchestral flute. But this one has, um, it has a very interesting feature that it has uh, an additional hole in it uh, outside of the, you know, the, the kind of blowhole and the finger holes that's covered by a membrane that buzzes and vibrates as the player is playing. So they might blow a note, you know, maybe a little more aggressively, 
uh, play with the dynamics or hit something that just resonates the right way. And it creates this very distinct buzzing sound that's almost like a natural distortion. And, and a really great player can push and pull on the dynamics of the instrument to, to bring that kind of out at, at key moments. So that is on maybe 25 or so of the, of the tracks. And again, just an unbelievable, beautiful, sensitive, emotional playing from the person we had playing that. He was incredible. So those two are really, you know, Mama Bear and Papa Bear <laughs> on the soundtrack. Uh, the other ones that I really fell in love with, there's an instrument called a komungo, which is also a type of zither, but has um, frets. Almost doesn't really look like a guitar, but the same concept of, as a guitar. It's, it's played on the ground or on your lap, and it's struck with a stick um, as a plectrum. So it looks almost like a pen or a pencil. And you can play it kind of rapidly, playing back and forth like you would with a guitar pick, but you also can kind of do this wrist snap thing, and it gets this very percussive, aggressive attack to it. Um, and, and again, the woman we had playing this, she was just unbelievable. Watching her go, watching her fingers move, was it was like mesmerizing. It was so cool. And then even though it's only on one track, it was very important for me to incorporate uh, the Korean vocal tradition. So there's a type of operatic storytelling called pansori, which is, um, yeah, they're equivalent to a sort of classical opera, I would say. Um, and unlike some other East Asian operatic traditions where if it's a woman singing, she has a very light, sort of breathy, kind of high-pitched tone, they find these women and men um, to to that that reach into the lower ranges and the sort of chest range and, and those in-between ranges of chest and head voice where the, vo where the voice starts to cr break a little bit and they hone it so that they can kind of stay in that zone and create this amazing raspiness to it. And it's, it's just the tone of the singing is unbelievable and so emotional. Um, and uh, the singer we had come in, she, she was so young. She looked like, you know, maybe 23, 24 to me. Uh, and then she would open her mouth and we would all just get chills. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, so yeah, those, those were four that I thought were really important. There's, 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 there's a lot of other ones. I, I really wanted to have at least one representation of every kind of key instrument, but those four I think are, are the most important to me at least.
then where did you start? I mean, if you're not super familiar with the instruments, or at least you weren't in the, in the beginning, how did you even begin to write music for them? Uh, a lot of listening, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, tr you know, just trying to apply your musical brain to things and say, what are the patterns I'm recognizing? What am I hearing? And then trying to figure out, um, you know, what the names for those are so I can go and do a little bit more studying. Um, but again, Andy was super helpful. Um, he kind of pointed me in the direction of certain types of musical modes to, to, to listen for and, and rhythms as well. Their approach to rhythm is a little bit different than ours. So yeah, it was it was a combination of those two things, and then and then it was trial and error. You know, I would, I would write things, I would send it to Andy, and I would say, "Is this, you know, is this even playable on the instrument that I'm writing it for?" Because when you have, sit at a computer, you can do anything you want, um, and that applies to you know a, a traditional Western orchestra as well. So yeah, kind of running it by him. So you know, again, at, he was composer, he was translator, he was also my consigliere and my teacher. You know, uh, he was a very important figure, and he would say, "Well." In this key, it's impossible, but if you just lower it a half step or raise it a half step, then they can play it no problem. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, were you able to just sort of let them loose in the studio too and, and come up with their own ideas or kind of riff on ideas that you had given them? Yeah, always. That You know, you know, it, the sort of modern composing, media composing landscape means you have access to all these amazing sample libraries that very accurately recreate, you know, the real thing to you know maybe to 90 percent accuracy uh but there's no such sample libraries really for korean instruments so you're kind of repurposing you know shakuhachis or uh you know um koto and all that kind of, you're, you're kind of taking what's already out there and, and hoping that you know okay they can do the real thing so when i would write something i would always make sure that that it was just in my mind, it was always a loose framework. I knew that when we got to the recording stage, I didn't want to be so attached to my demos that I would be mad if they couldn't pull that off, you know. And so even the notation we gave them would be very, very light on articulations and expressions. Uh, and we would run, you know, one or two takes of them getting exactly what's written on the page as a safety. And then we'd say, okay, go nuts, you know. Do you, they, and, they, and they would ask. They're very kind about it. They would say, do you want this to be more Korean? Do you want this to be less Korean, a little bit more even. Um, and there were times where it was, you know, it had to be one or the other. But for the most part, I would just let them go nuts. And and, and almost across the board, those are the takes that are in the soundtrack, because that's what I wanted. I, I wanted them to bring their expression and their expertise to the music. Oh, of course. And that adds so much, too, because it makes it seem so much more authentic and and genuine rather than you kind of imposing your ideas about what it should be. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm at the service of this kind of music, and they're the experts. So you know, I'm just sort of a guest for a little bit, and and I need their help to make to make it what I want. You know, I, there's you're in a way you're kind of a foreman. It's like you're not I'm not building the entire building. I'm just sort of getting the getting the people in. You know, I'm, as part of my team that know how to build the building and letting them do their thing. That's a great a great metaphor. I mean, because <laughs> <laughs> that really totally makes a lot of sense too.
things that I think is a really interesting idea and challenge for all of the composers that I've talked with who use instruments from different cultures is making them fit within the context of Western instruments because they play different scales and they Mm -hmm. have different tunings and stuff. So how did you handle that? Well, for the most part, uh, a lot of traditional Korean sort of modes and the scales they operate in are really, you know, similar to other East Asian countries in that they're primarily based on a pentatonic scale with some variations and, and, you know, where they started the scale varies, what notes they tend to focus on and land on as they're playing tend to vary. But for the most part, it's, it's really just uh, pentatonic based with some embellishments here and there. So that part wasn't too hard, but, but, you know, again, with Andy's help, knowing when it would sound a little too Chinese or a little too Japanese and sort of pulling it back and, and reining it in, in terms of getting it to mesh with the Western orchestra, you know, that is a place where computers came in very handy uh, because, you know, these these instruments are, they're sort of tuned to themselves. They're very relative. And, uh, you know, over the last, whatever, three, 400, 500 years, the Western orchestral tradition has really dialed in on being sort of locked in so that when you've got 80 people in a room, they can play in any key and resonate together perfectly. The And, the you know, these Korean instruments uh, are still very much traditional. So, you know, it took a little bit of assistance from the computer sometimes to uh, pull or push a note to get it into the, the, the players would get very close, but I didn't want them to I didn't want them to um, have to alter their tech technique such that it would rob the, you know, the, the music of the expression that I wanted to get out of it. I would say, hey, if you can't hit that, just get close and, and I'll fix it. Um, so in a way, there's, you know, this type of soundtrack probably couldn't exist, you know, anytime before now yeah um and uh but I, I would like to go back and i would say write some more stuff for these instruments that really f- focuses on letting them shine and not trying to shoehorn them even just a little bit into the western sort of uh tuning tradition i should say sure um yeah well i love how you've fused the instruments with that massive orchestra that you ended mm. up using it's just it's such a good fit and it really you know, it lets the instruments, the Korean instruments shine, but then gives them this beautiful kind of bed to rest on, I guess, with the, yeah, with, the yeah. with the big orchestra. And the brass section, oh my goodness, it is epic. <laughs> um, what what was it about the, the game that you felt really needed a big brass section like that? Well, um, Guild Wars, going back to Guild Wars 1, always has a tradition of, you know, epic right it's 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 a fantasy setting um there's a kind of shorthand musical language that you associate with that type of setting and that doesn't mean there isn't leeway to kind of you know move that around um uh on a spectrum but um you know you just kind of always need heroic horns and aggressive low low brass you know if you're in a fight against some giant monster or something like that so uh th- it's funny you pointed out the brass in terms of you know the size of the section it's 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 pretty standard you know it's only four horns uh three trombones three trumpets and and a tuba and that's it must have been the wide but, angle lens in the video that made it. <laughs> yeah yeah well and and also the sound i mean the players themselves you know this was our first time recording the orchestra in Nashville which has become a kind of a hot spot for primarily for video games um but also does a ton of movie and tv stuff uh, over the last decade, I would say they've really become a, an amazing option for recording an orchestra, especially for media stuff. And um, I really wanted to record there. I'd heard great things. I'd had friends that had worked there and said, you got to go, you got to go. It's they're unbelievable. And no slight against, you know, maybe 
orchestras in Central or Eastern Europe or, you know, they play beautifully. They're unbelievable. And and for, for the sort of core Guild Wars sound, which is beautiful, lush music, they do that really well. But when you want that big Hollywood brass sound, that's just an American thing, you know. It's you know, I, I'm sure I don't need to teach you about this, but it's 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 a refined version of the sort of Germanic tradition. But we've taken it to such an extreme here in in America for our movies and TV stuff that I needed that sound, and I just I knew that we were going to have a lot of music, and I needed people who could just get it right away. And so Nashville was kind of the the place to be. all of the brass in one day they did i think 35 cues in, in eight and a half hours wow and some of them were very challenging in terms of tempo changes and time signature changes but they were just unbelievable you know by take three take four at most you know they they would nail it and sometimes honestly there's some take ones and take twos in, in the soundtrack they were so cool and and i can't wait to go back Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Their lips must have been dead <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, according to them, they were excited because, because again, sort of modern media stuff maybe doesn't take 
as full advantage of interesting sort of acrobatic brass playing. It's a lot of low notes and swells and things like that, which have their place. And there's certainly no shortage of that on this soundtrack. But we gave him we gave him a little bit of a runaround on a few cues, and and you 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 could feel them kind of perk up and be like, okay, wait. Uh, you know, this is going to be hard for me, so I, I want to get it right. Yeah, well, and then you've got that focus too, because they're really concentrating and and uh, mm-hmm. you know working on you know really nailing it and stuff. Yeah, I yeah. I have so much respect for session musicians. I just their sight reading skills and the way they can get into a piece of music on the first read through is just phenomenal. I'm in awe constantly. Every orchestra I've ever worked with, I'm I'm always in awe of their ability to do that. You know. Um, because it's not just about playing the right notes, but you want to, you want them to put emotion into it. So to be able to just instantly get that emotion, uh, on the, on, sometimes on the first take, sometimes on the second or third take, but you know the speed that you have to operate on to to get that emotion that quickly is to me such a superhuman ability, and I'm always humbled because uh, you know they're the people that bring this music to life. It's it's nothing without the musicians. Um, it's just a computer simulation that you can get close but it's not the real it's not it's not the real thing it's not the same well it's great that you could record live at ocean way rather than having everybody record their parts individually there were some composers who had you know one musician at a time <laughs> go into the studio because of uh, the you know the uh, pandemic but it, it looks like you were able to have big sections all there at once yeah, we we got lucky just in the timing of when it happened. You know, there was sort of a little dip uh, of of you know of the panic of the pandemic, um, and we were able to have everybody there. Ocean Way is not necessarily big enough to accommodate an entire orchestra. You can't really get you know seventy, eighty people in there comfortably. You probably could, but it would be very very uncomfortable. So we did the strings and woodwinds together for two days, and then we did the brass separate on on a third day. Um, but that also allowed us some some interesting flexibility that I think is unique to games, right? In that, uh, you know, it's interactive and you're playing the game for so long. It's not a linear experience like a TV or, uh, show or a movie. So, you know, the you if you're not careful, you end up hearing all the music, you know, very quickly and cycling through it just kind of on a shuffle, sort of like a playlist. Um, and it, being able to have the sections be separated meant we could record kind of, or we could mix sort of alternate versions. So we took that two and a half hours of music and stretched it into about eight, eight and a half hours of music with multiple variations of every track, um, different combinations of this is just the orchestra, or here's just the strings and woodwinds with the Korean soloists, or here's the brass with just the percussion, you know? So it's, uh, you know, it's the most music that Guild Wars has ever shipped with for any, you know, whether a base, it's the base game or any of the expansions, it's the most it's ever had all at once. Wow. Yeah, because what we kind of haven't touched on is all of this, all this research that you did and finding the musicians, it's in the service of the game. And so mm-hmm. what were some of the aspects of the characters or the story that you wanted to kind of support with the music? Well, the setting, like I said, is can- is this place called Kantha, which has this, you know, uh, East Asian and Korean-inspired kind of uh, architecture, art, and and uh, even the, down to the costumes and the names of some of the characters. So that was important to, to have in there. And then, it was, of course, it was also important to have the orchestra, which is sort of the baseline for all Guild Wars music. And then there was this third element that was very, it was like a monkey wrench that they threw at me, which was, oh, and, you know, the people of Cantha have developed this very highly advanced technology. So, um, you know, there's parts of the world that almost feel Blade Runner-ish or feels like a modern city with sort of bright lights and neon and things like that, um, which is unusual for a fantasy setting. 
so we'd love to hear synthesizers kind of pushed to the forefront. And I'm like, okay, you want an orchestra, you want it to sound, you know, like electronic music, and then you want this, these traditional Korean instruments, and it has to all feel like Guild Wars. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, no leave me alone for a little bit, and I'll try to figure it out. So for the, for the most part, it was really just kind of, the, you know, to me that was a spectrum, and it was it was a matter of looking at the different maps and the regions that the player will spend time in, and different moments in the story that are really important, and figuring out what combination those needed to be kind of dialed in. So how much needed to be orchestra for this particular moment, how much needed to be electronic for that particular moment, and how much needed to be, uh, you know, the traditional Korean sound. And there's there's a mix of all three of them in every track, but it, it shifts a little bit on which one is the focus. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, like the, when you start, uh, the expansion, the first area you get to is very natural feeling. There's still elements of this sort of technology kind of tucked away in the background, but it's beautiful rolling hills and, you know, mountains, mountains and cliffs and, and beautiful cherry blossom trees and things like that. So that one kind of has the more acoustic sound dialed up a little bit more. So it's, it's primarily, uh, these traditional Korean instruments supported by the orchestra with light synth elements. The second place you get to feels like a city. It feels like it feels like Blade Runner. So the synth stuff goes crazy there. Uh, and also processing heavy duty kind of electronic processing of acoustic sounds, whether it's 
the Korean soloist, or we have this unbelievable cello soloist who, you know, I, I when you record a cello soloist, you want it to be beautiful and expressive. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to put distortion on it. I'm going to put delay on it. I'm going to put flangers and pitch shifters. I'm just going to mess with it until it sounds like it's coming, you know, out of this city, like it's emerging from the world. So yeah, it was kind of, it was just sort of looking at, looking at the concept artwork and maybe footage of the game and, and trying to decide how to sort of dial in these three elements. Yeah. And you worked with a team too. I mean, it would be impossible for one composer to do all of this. Well, not impossible, but it'd be a huge, huge. It would take a lot longer. Yeah, for sure. And so, so you brought in Lena Rain and Steve Pardo and other composers. And so how did you work together as a team? Well, um, you know, I really wanted to let them flourish. You know, I, 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 this isn't the first time I've, I've had additional composers and other people help um, to varying degrees. And, and I always like to think of myself as just kind of the steward of Guild Wars music. I'm not the dictator. Um, and so I think it's important to bring people in that you think will fit the aesthetic of the world and, and, and let them play to their strengths. So for someone like Steve, Steve, I've known, uh, you know, we, we both kind of started our game careers at the same time, at the same place at, at Harmonics, um, Harmonics Music Systems, making rock band games. Oh, uh, wow. You know, back when that was kind of the peak of that sort of fad, uh, that was when we both got our start. So I've known him for a long time. And he's, uh, he's one of those musicians that makes you frustrated. You're like, gosh, I wish I could be as good as Steve. Like, he's so good at everything. Um, but we—he's a great saxophone player and a great jazz. He has a sort of a jazz background, and there's a moment in the game where we have this kind of fun jazz song. It's kind of like our own Star Wars cantina theme, you know, where it's yeah, it's basically that, but for the Guild Wars version. And I and I said, look, I can pretend like I know how to write jazz, but I'm too busy studying all this Korean stuff. So let me just get my buddy who can definitely do it, and he did a great job. Um, Lena, you know, has a history with Guild Wars. Her her uh, you know her composing career. I don't want to speak for her. I mean, I, you know, I am here, but uh, it essentially started with Guild Wars, right? Because she was she was originally a designer, uh, an encounter designer, and a map designer on the game. And when I was kind of just starting to take over the music, it, she came to me with a piece of music she'd written for an event that she was, you know, scripting and designing and working on, and said, "Do you think we could figure out a way to get this in the game?" And I thought, I, I, I heard it. And I'm like, "This isn't. You're not an amateur. You know what you're doing. What's going on here?" And she said, well, yeah, I went to school for composition. I said, well, what are you doing doing map design and stuff? You should be writing music. So we slowly kind of allowed her to to write music for her own encounters. And, and she just has become such a fan favorite. Uh, and of course, she's gone on to do amazing things with Celeste and, and, and Chicory and all that kind of stuff. So she's very busy, but I wanted to get her back. She's so great at writing boss encounters and big climactic kind of end of the stories uh, you know, type of music. So I, I knew that I wanted to get her back. We we only had enough time to get her back for one track, but it's the it's the end of the game, and I think she just did an unbelievable job. Uh, and then other than Andy, the other composers are. I, I thought it was really important to to bring in Korean composers uh, for obvious reasons. So uh, my friend Michael Choi, who's a composer I've known for a long time, I met him here in L.A. He moved back to Seoul a few years ago. Uh, I asked him if he would be involved because I I knew that he. I, I knew that he could do the Guild Wars thing, right? He writes beautiful melodies um, and and writes beautiful lush orchestration. And I had an interesting moment with him early on where, you know, I went into this sort of assuming, well, Michael, you're a great composer, but you're also Korean, so you must be an expert on this traditional Korean music. And he very politely said, you know, well, not really, you know. Uh, I, I've heard it, right, because, I'm, because I grew up there and I'm from there, and so it's been around. 
but you know, I don't know that music, you know, as an expert because I haven't studied it. And it was an interesting kind of check on my own assumptions about why I why I wanted him involved, why I wanted you know Korean composers involved at all, and and to sort of allow them to come in for their their musical ability and not as a token to say like, look, you know, everybody, we got a Korean person to compose music. So anyway, that you know, it was. It, I, I'm very grateful that he. Uh, I'm grateful for his friendship and his musical ability, and and uh, and not feeling like um, I was sort of taking advantage of that to to check something off of a list. Through him, I also met another Korean composer named Sojin. Uh, Sojin Ryu is her name. Again, just a beautiful melodicist, beautiful orchestration, perfectly fits with the Guild Wars aesthetic, um, and she wrote some really gorgeous pieces. Uh, and then the final piece is. The one thing I don't like doing is writing combat music and action music. It's, I find it very tedious. I can do it if I have to, but you know, with a game that, where you're fighting, you just have to write a lot of it, and and I find it kind of bogs me down a little bit. So I've had help on that in the past, and I needed help on that, you know, this time around as well. So we brought in a composer named Brian Atkinson, who's amazing and writes these. His stuff was the most challenging for the brass. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, he doesn't hold back. Uh, but he write, but he, it's perfect for that kind of you know music where you need to sort of build tension and keep it aggressive and off kilter, and he's very good at that. So that's that's the whole team. Wow. Well, if you don't like writing music for boss battles, what what is your favorite kind of music to write for Guild Wars or or any other kind of game? Yeah, I like to say um, sad and slow and pretty. You know, that's <laughs> that, those are my sort of three specialties and I also and then you know my those are the three musketeers of my music and then I would say the d'artagnan of my music is goofy stuff I really like silly kind of cartoony type of music and I, I don't get a chance to write that that often but usually with with uh, funnily enough with these guild wars expansions at least uh, there's all there's always at least one opportunity for me to write something a little silly on the soundtrack or uh, let's say lighthearted uh and so there's 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 a track on on this soundtrack that has has this kind of upbeat energy and and is actually not Korean at all. It was it was primarily inspired by um, Balinese uh, gamelan music, um, which just has an amazing energy and is so fun to listen to. I love it. Uh, so there's there's one of those tracks. To, that to me is my sort of lighthearted moment. But yeah, sad and slow and pretty. That that's what I. I'm, it's just that's just what comes out of me. Yep, yep. Well, there probably is enough you know enough areas where you needed exploration music that you could sort of use use those sort of ideas, right? Yeah, you always you always need that to just sort of gently drift in from the background and set the tone for what you're seeing. You know, Guild Guild Wars is such a beautiful game. They they really have made beauty a, a, a pillar of the experience. Um, so both that's you know both visually and auditorily, um, it, it's it has to be pretty. Uh, and you know the angular sort of aggressive stuff comes out as necessary in fights. Um, but for the most part, it, I get to just write a lot of pretty music. And so I'm very grateful to have this relationship with the studio where they, ha- you know, it's, 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 I like to say that they're my Steven Spielberg, you know, it's just a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so great. Um, in your GDC session that's coming up, one of the things that you mentioned in your description is that you really wrestled with kind of, mu- you know, strip mining a culture just for a, a commercial purpose and mm-hmm. so maybe if you could talk just a little bit about how you did kind of get your head around that or how you you know made peace with that idea or just avoided becoming like a cultural you know sort of magpie yeah well there was the moment i said like i said with michael um where we you know we had a very uh, honest discussion about it and it wasn't he wasn't sort of accusing me of anything but it's interesting to just you know you, you want to keep that stuff out in the open um even if you know Sometimes your intentions can be un- 
unintentionally malicious, I should say, uh, you know, um, and so uh, that, that was an important moment in the process. But the other kind of important moment happened very early on, where I did very light research on Korean music and thought, I got this, you know, I, I know what this should be just a few days. And I was I wrote, uh, I wrote three kind of concept pieces early, or this is about two years ago now, uh, just to pitch to the studio and say, hey, am I headed in the right direction? And listening back to them now, you know, they're, they, they, I, it's exactly what I didn't want to do and what the studio didn't want to do, and that it's this sort of pastiche. And it, and it really is just a sprinkling of a generic East Asian sound on top of, you know, a, a fantasy orchestra sound. And I thought, oh, you know, I listened to a couple things on YouTube, and I'm like, I got this. And, and you know, write something in a pentatonic scale, put a, put a flute over it, and then get on with it, you know. And when I listen back to it now, I just sort of cringe and say, man, I was so I, I was so off base on this. And, and the studio even, again, we had a meeting about it, and they very politely said, hey, this isn't really what we, this isn't really what we talked about, so can you try again? Um, and I think those moments are important to have, you know, in terms of being humbling. And... Um, Again, just asking for help, talking to people. The the you know these musicians that are that that are experts in this culture and music. They they want to share that with people. And, and music, it's, it's a cliche, but it's a universal language. So we're all sort of talking about the same thing. We're all doing this because we love music. And I think that um, as we kind of got the ball rolling, talking to these soloists, especially, they were, they were very grateful to be part of this project because it would spread traditional Korean music to the world. And so. I just kind of always used their enthusiasm as uh, as my kind of signpost to be like, am I going in the right direction? And uh, I'm honored and humbled that uh, that they you know feel like we're doing something special and important for their for their uh, culture. Well, yeah, and as you mentioned, oh, way way back when we first started talking, this has just kind of opened the door a crack, and you still there's so much more to explore. So so much, yeah, so much. So speaking of being passionate and being fans, you know, there is so much love for the music in the Guild Wars games from the fans. And so how does that passion, that fan passion, kind of inspire you or does it really influence how you write the music? Yeah, it does. Um, You you know, uh, Guild Wars, between Guild Wars 1 and Guild Wars 2, this world has been around for over 15 years uh, in one way or another. And this type of game is really a lifestyle for a lot of people, right? It's it's designed to, you know, kind of always have something for you to do in it. It's not a game that you just buy and you play and you beat it and then you put it on the shelf and say, I'm done with that. So I'll talk, when I talk to fans, you know, I've talked to them and, and, and say they'll say, oh, I've got 500 hours in the game or I've got 1,000 or I've got 2,000 hours in the game, which is just crazy to me. But this is what they do, you know, instead of they come home from work, they don't turn on the TV to watch a show. They, they turn on the game and they you know, log on, play with their friends, and it's their outlet. So that's something I, 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 after a while, I had, you know, and, you know, once I started taking over the music and talking to fans, that was something I realized I had to treat very respectfully um, and take it very seriously. Uh, and then the other side of this is that I'm not the first composer to write music for the game. Uh, you know, all of Guild Wars 1 and the the original version of Guild Wars 2, when it first came out, the music was done by a composer named Jeremy Soule, who's a brilliant composer, amazing musician. Um, and so, you know, between sort of fan expectations, treating this world that they love with respect, and then making sure that my music or whatever other music and composers I bring in can sit side by side with what's already been established, it's it's a it was a little bit of a tightrope those first few years, just because I, I you know I, I wanted I didn't want to tread on anyone's toes um, or upset anyone, but 
little by little, I've, I've, I've tried things where I'll sort of pull it back to what I like to do or what I'm, what I'm curious about exploring. Um, and I, and I always have these moments where I think are, are fans going to come with me on this? I'm not sure. And across the board, you know, they've been amazing. And, and this soundtrack is certainly the most extreme departure that we've ever had for Guild Wars. And the response has been unbelievable. It's just been so cool to see that they're excited about hearing something new and unfamiliar between the, the uh, Korean stuff and the electronic stuff. Um, you know, it, it could have gone badly. And, and I think we were all a little bit worried about that, but it hasn't. It's been incredible. Well, it's been incredible to listen to. And McLean, it's been so fascinating to talk with you about it. What a journey you've been on with all of this music. And so thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I, I, I'm Every day I feel fortunate to be here doing this, and, and I'm very grateful to be able to talk about it with people like you. So thank you. Thank you.